0: All right, welcome to The Walking Closer Podcast, and you are listening to episode 96, which is a part of a series of episodes where I am presenting to you some things that I believe are helpful in painting maybe a more realistic picture in your mind of what you're reading when you read and interpret the Bible. Now, this is part six of this series, and uh, all the previous parts have been focused on some of what it might look like if you lived in an honor-shame society. This episode, I'm going to subtitle it The Dance of Grace. And with this episode, I want to add another layer of complexity and begin to talk about what is referred to as the patron system. So let's get started. The Bible is filled with things, concepts, metaphors, uh, cultural norms, and nuances that are uh, foreign to us, and yet understanding these things are essential to understanding the teachings within the text. This is why I believe understanding the culture in which these texts were written is essential to using the text. So if we have a better understanding of their culture and have a good understanding of our own culture, then we can begin to build a bridge be- between the two. But now in order to understand the culture, we, we have to go beyond things like clothing and food and the types of homes they lived in. We really have to dive into things like social structures and social norms. We We have to try our best to tap into the unsaid things of how people functioned within a society. And... This is exactly what we need to do in order to understand various concepts throughout, specifically the New Testament, Uh, like, for instance, the concepts of grace and faith. Now, you might hear that and think, I think I pretty much understand grace and faith. And you might. But did you know that grace and faith were words that were not particularly religious And were used to describe a particular kind of relationship between two people. And these two people were functioning in what we call the patronage system. (laughs) Yes. Now, when you hear the term patronage or patron, it might remind you or sound like something you're familiar with. Uh, We might use the term patron as a way to describe Say, for instance, regular customers, people who come and support you through your business. They are your clients. They come to you, you provide a service, and they pay you for that service. But that relationship pretty much stops there, right? They, they may come back to your business, or they may not. Uh, there's nothing tying them to you other than if you have good food or a product they want to use over and over again, or if it's so bad that they can't help but tell people and warn people, do not go there, do not use this thing, right? Uh, so if the food or, or product is good, then they might give you good reviews and tell other people about it. But there wouldn't be any pressure to do this. You might also think about Patreon and other startup resources like Kickstarter where you can create something and give people the option of paying you directly through subscription-based platforms you know, like Patreon, or or people can fund your startup or whatever it is you're wanting to make, like on Kickstart, and they get special perks once it's created, kind of like a, a kickback. Now, the, these are some of the things that we have that might help us relate to what we call the patron system. In fact, I think things like Kickstart are more related than than the others. But in the biblical times... You essentially had two ways, okay, of getting things done if you did not have the means to do it on your own. Now, first you could rely upon others who were considered your equal in social standings, okay? And essentially you could ask them for a favor, think grace. And then you would return with a favor of your own. It was like this reciprocal thing. It was reciprocal in nature and would just be an ongoing thing, right? You might call that a friendship. But now to understand some of this mentality, we need to bring in the honor shame mentality as well. In this culture, it was believed that there was a limited amount of goods or resources that were available to people. And whatever that amount was, it was already kind of doled out to people. And this is why there was so much emphasis on being content with what you have with you know your lot in life. You function and thrive within those parameters. And in, in doing so, you maintain the honor you were born into. Now, this is not to say that one could not increase right their wealth or resources, but because it was believed that there was a limited amount of goods or resources available to gain meant someone else had lost. And there was a certain level of shame built in within that and no one wanted to be responsible right for gaining at the expense of someone else like again that was shameful and therefore to to obtain something from someone else automatically put you in the mental state of wanting to return the favor at your own expense with whatever and in whatever way you could and this automatically entered you into a relationship with that person where you continue to return favor for favor. Think grace for grace. So if you found someone of equal social ranking who could help you out, then that was great. But what if you couldn't? Well, this takes us to the second option. So if you couldn't find someone of equal standing to help you, Then you would seek out a connection with someone who was socially superior to you, someone who could give you what you could not get on your own. And this social superior person was called a patron. Patrons were people of means who had surplus, who were willing to assist or help out others, to show them favoritism. And there again is the word favor or grace. So you see, as a patron, a, a person who had surplus, you were, you were wealthy. You were among the elite. You could choose who you wanted to help. You could be picky. And by picking someone to help out of all the people you could help, you were showing them favoritism. You were doing them a favor. And by doing so, you were treating them like family. You were taking them in and entering into a certain type of relationship with them. Now, in both instances here, whether you found someone who could help you who was of equal social standing, or if it was someone who was socially superior, the relationship you entered into was described by using the terms grace and faith, and that is the context in which grace and faith was used and understood within the New Testament, and this is something you're not going to get just by defining some words. So you you have to tap into the culture to understand what this looked like. Now, let's imagine for a moment what it would be like to live in this type of society. When it, when it came to personal everyday needs, of course, you could just go to the market where you, you might even perhaps negotiate with sellers. But for the most part, everyday needs like food, etc., were things you could get in the marketplace. For anything, though, outside of your daily needs – well, that was a different story. For anything outside of that, it's all about who you know. And when you read the biblical text, it's important to keep that in mind. Because they did not function the way we do in our society. Especially if you live here in the United States. Because you see, in our culture, we don't necessarily like the idea of it being about who you know. And not about what you know or what what you have done. Now, I think we actually don't have that much of a problem with it as long as we're the ones benefiting from benefiting from it. But what we don't like is if someone else is gaining an unfair advantage over us. Right? They don't they don't know what we know, haven't done what, what we have done, and yet they gain the advantage over us because of who they know. We don't like that. So let's look at it from a, a work perspective. We we like to be evaluated based on our skills and performance rather than personal connections, right? and if we see someone else advancing in the workplace getting that promotion and they do not have the skills or performance to warrant this promotion and yet they are promoted because of a personal connection we don't like that we don't like that at all but that being said if we are if we're the ones if we are given some favors because of personal connections we wouldn't probably we would probably accept those favors right but we would prefer to keep that under the table because you, you want to keep that kind of thing under wraps um, because we know how other people are going to look at it. Um, so you see, this sort of thing is it's frowned upon in our culture. But in the New Testament times, it was the only way. It was accepted. It was expected. And it, it was the way things were. And if you wanted to get things done, you needed favors. You needed Grace. Now, in our society, we don't see the ability to buy and sell, We don't, you know, employment, uh, even government assistance as as uh, we don't see that like we're being granted a favor or like we are granting someone else a favor. You know, you, you can buy or sell anything you want as long as you have the funds and can prove you own whatever you want to sell. Employment is largely based on skill and performance and government assistance is basically available to anyone who... Meets whatever you know requirements are there for whatever service that they're they're needing, so you you don't have to know someone special, and uh, participating in any of these things is not typically viewed as favor, right? No one's doing anyone a favor here. That even becoming a citizen, you don't have to know someone; you just have to go through an indoctrination process, right? So. This is this is our world, the culture in which we function. These are our social norms, and to think of them being done in any other way that gives someone else an unfair advantage over us is well, it's unacceptable to us. We we would probably refuse to accept to live in a society that functions this way. Um but this is exactly how society in New Testament times functioned. The way resources were managed and the way needs were met was, was quite different from our own. Like they, and they, they couldn't necessarily see how society could function any other way. And this is the world they lived in. This is the world of the New Testament. This is the world where the ministry of Jesus took place. This is the culture in which the disciples of Jesus went out into and the culture in which the church grew. Like This is the society the Apostle Paul was most familiar with and the culture in which his letters were written. And it's the culture in which grace and faith finds its home. And these were the terms used to describe the relationship between people who function within what we call the patron system. Now, the concepts of grace and faith uh, can be found throughout the New Testament. The concepts, right? Interesting enough, though, it's only the Gospel of John that actually talks about grace. And then with the exception of Luke's using the concept of grace in Acts a few times. It's the Apostle Paul and his letters that contain the majority of these references, It's over 100. So without exception, it is the Apostle Paul who talks about the relationship between grace and faith. And if it were not for Paul, I'm not convinced we would have the connection between these two words that we have today, the two concepts. I'm not convinced we'd have those connections today. So the terms or concepts of grace and faith— were not particularly religious terms. Like Jesus didn't come up with these words. Christians did not invent these concepts. Grace and faith had to do with social norms that described and defined relationships where there was an interchange and exchange of resources and services and favors. The the concepts of grace and faith were embedded in what we call the patron system. And to understand grace and faith as Paul used them, we need to understand the patron system. But now to do this, I want to present this in a somewhat systematic way in order to help you begin to wrap your mind around this. So if you're still with me, kudos to you. It's it's about to get even more interesting, okay? So first, there was something within this this patron system that we call Personal patriots, and again, the way that we, we we break this down because this isn't this isn't normal for us. This isn't our culture. It's not our society. This is just simply the way we talk about it. It's how we have come to understand it. And so, this systematic way of breaking it down is simply just our efforts in trying to better understand and wrap our minds around this thing that is foreign to us. Okay, and in doing so. I'm suggesting to you that it helps to paint a more plausible picture in our minds of what's actually being said and what would have been understood as people within these systems would have read, say, some of Paul's some of Paul's letters. So, let's break this system down uh, so that we can try and wrap our minds around it, just just a little bit at least, okay? So, as we break it down, there is something that we call personal patronage. And as I said before... A person could take care of everyday needs by just simply going to the market. But for anything outside of this, you would need to seek out someone who either possessed what you needed or who controlled access to it. So the person you would seek out would be referred to as a patron. And if you could get this person to help you, you would accept and receive what they're doing for you as a favor think grace so let's say you needed a plot of land you need money to start a business any money to help with a crop failure or failed business maybe maybe you needed protection from enemies or or debt relief or maybe you were seeking a political position to do any of these things, you would need to make a personal connection with someone who had access to, say, property or wealth, someone who was, who, who was powerful and powerfully connected. Power was consolidated into the hands of the upper class, and in order to tap into that, you needed to know someone. So let's say you, you made that connection. You found someone who was socially superior to you and they agreed to help you, to give you what you were needing. It's at this point that you would now be considered their client and the both of you, patron and client, understood that this relationship you entered into was a bond, a long-term relationship, a commitment. And this bond between the both of you, was like a dance fueled by generosity and gratitude. Think grace. It was an interchange and exchange of favors and service. Again, think grace. So let's say you were like Lydia in Acts uh, 16, and you wanted to be a seller of purple goods. Well, to get started, you may have had to find a patron, who could give you access to the goods that you were dyeing purple. Or maybe you had the goods and you needed access to the materials to make the dye. Or maybe you needed help getting permission to set up shop and to sell these items. To do these things, you would need to find a patron. You need to make a connection with someone who would agree to help you and what you received from them what they did for you you saw it you received it you accepted it as a favor think grace and in return you became their client and you would seek out ways to repay their generosity it was favor for favor and it just kept reciprocating like a, like a back and forth dance and when you re- received a favor you would feel indebted, but, but it wasn't it wasn't burdensome. Like You would be excited to return the favor, and you would look for opportunities to return the favor either with other goods you had or, or, or goods you came across, or you would look for the perfect time to, to serve them in other ways. Remember, honor and shame is wrapped up into this, and so in order to, to do this you know, and, and function the way that you were expected to function and maintain honor, that was done within this sort of framework with the client and patron as well. And so you're looking for those ways to be an honorable client, to be an honorable uh, patron, and failing to do that, well, bought with it a certain amount of shame. So you would gladly, right? You would gladly do this. And you would you would you would gladly look for those times to repay, to, to bring back, to give back. And, and, and you 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 would gladly tell others how grateful you were for what they did for you speaking highly of your patron, building up their reputation in the community. So whatever was being done for you, regardless if it was a relationship between you and an equal or someone who was considered superior to you, socially speaking, someone who had surplus, someone who was wealthy, whatever was being done for you, you would receive it as a favor with gratitude and demonstrate your gratefulness by reciprocating the favor in this dance of say interchange and exchange of grace it was graciously given it was gratefully received and graciously given you scratch my back and i'll scratch yours that's that's kind of sums this thing up so let's say you had let's say you had some olive trees an olive garden and uh, let's just say that this was the way that you took care of your family. And this was not particularly a good year for you. And so as a result, you you were struggling to provide for your family. But just a few hundred acres away from your land was another wealthier landowner. He had three times the amount of land and on his land he produced olives and grapes. and he had a particularly good year and his crops were producing plenty. And let's say you went to your neighbor to seek financial help so you could make it through the rest of the year until your crops bounced back. And so your neighbor has plenty of surplus. He understands what it's like to have a bad crop. And then by helping you, it actually helps him. You seem like a person he can trust, and by doing so, it could increase his reputation, his honor among other people. And so he decides to help you by giving you enough produce from his crops to match what you might normally produce. Now you have the opportunity to bring some, something into the marketplace. And maybe you can press some and make oil and wine and sell that too. And because of your neighbor's generosity and showing you favor, again, think grace, you are so grateful for what you have received. You you begin to spread the word about his generosity, his grace that he has shown you. And when you get to the marketplace, maybe you brag on where the produce came from and the quality of the produce. You so you spread the word about how you were able to even make it to the market. And in the meantime, let's say your wife produces some exceptional oil and wine from the crops and With this, you prepare a great feast for your patron to celebrate him and his household and to bless them with your hospitality, demonstrating how grateful you are for his generosity. You may go work in his fields and help his workers harvest his crops. And he may have a special stash of wine he shares with you and delivers some of his harvest to your home so you can have reserve for your family. And you in turn seize whatever opportunity to, to return the favor. You see, it's this back and forth. It's a relationship. It's a dance. It's it's the dance of grace. <laughs> you, you with me on this? It's a dance of grace. All right, so um, there's another way in which you see uh, this play out, another component to this, and it's what some some people call this public patronage. And Again, there are there are a couple of things that you see that point to this. So, like when you see places where uh, public forms of entertainment, religious festivals and feasts, athletic competitions, you know those all those things were things given to the city by the wealthy. Okay, Um, so these people would have been seen as patrons to the city, patrons to the public these were gifts being bestowed upon the community any like civic projects like building you know upgrading temples and theaters and pavements were were again, again gifts from the wealthy when when king herod for instance provided money for building projects in jerusalem when he rebuilt the temple right this this was all a form of public patronage you also see it like in for instance in times of when crisis was you know fires in rome pandemics you know plagues etc it was the wealthy who came to the aid of the cities. They acted as benefactors or patrons. And in return, what would the city do? What would people do? Well, they would they would honor them with inscriptions on buildings, maybe have statues erected. I mean, they might get special seating at festivals or, or games. And uh, so, you see, th- this, this was their gift to the public, and it would increase their reputation and power among the people, which would be manifested in how the people responded back. And in fact, like, so if you look at kings and emperors, the the most powerful of patrons, right? And then the greatest response that the people could give back to them was what? It was worship. It was worship. And so you could see how that would play into... Especially in the first century, with Christians and refusing to uh, worship, as it were, the emperor, and so it was tied in to this economy. It was tied into the social structure. Okay, it wasn't just a con. It wasn't. It wasn't just a difference in theology here. I mean, this stuff was interwoven, and you have to see that in order to understand it. And then, in doing so. You understand really the kind of response what they what what they were willing to face Christians in the first century in light of of this, okay? And then you also also understand I think the difficulties that some people had uh, Christians had with this and making the changes um, that were necessary for them. So all of these relationships that I just mentioned were summed up with these words, grace and faith. So. I've been saying that. Now let's briefly just look at these two words and I'm going to show you how this all works out and plays into this, okay? So first let's look at grace. Grace was not primarily a religious term. It was a social norm. It was used to speak of the relationship between between patrons and clients and this interchange and exchange of favors. Think grace. Now, grace was used and three ways in this relationship. The first had to do with the, let's just say, the willingness of a patron to grant the favor, and it highlights the the generosity and the, the disposition, the mental disposition of the patron. And the grace was also used to refer to the gift itself, and so you have the mental disposition, the heart of the person giving it, the patron, but the gift itself was... Uh, was connected to, tied to this word grace, right? The result of the patron's feelings. And then finally, grace was used to speak of the, the response of the client, how you received and accepted that, that, that gift, that favor, with gratitude. And in all three of these, these ways, and you see the word grace. It was grace given, gratefully received, grace given. It was grace for grace. And in fact, John uses these terms in John 160 when he said, For from his fullness we have all received grace for grace. And it's within the context of the patron system that we can understand this phrase. It was it was called the dance of grace. Okay? And in fact, in fact, there was an image that captured this dance of grace for the ancients it's it's a picture of three goddesses or three maidens and the three graces or dancing hand in hand in a circle it it represents this uninterrupted succession of bestowing and receiving and returning a favor or a benefit think grace and if if one of these acts of grace fails, if someone fails to give the gift, if someone fails to receive the, the gifts gratefully, if someone fails to give the gift graciously, then the whole dance is ruined. Okay, So there is the picture of grace. So let's talk about these three specific aspects of grace. So you have, again, you have the... Grace in relation to the patron himself and his willingness and disposition in giving the gift. You have grace in reference to the gift itself. And you have grace in reference to how the client, the person receiving it, received it, right? With gratitude. Okay, so let's look at these individually. First, there is this, this sh- showing of favor or, or grace by the patron. And believe it or not, there seems to have been some codes of conduct that were written about for the patron. And that doesn't mean that everyone followed these, but it is written. We have ancient writings about this. In fact, Seneca, who lived between 4 BC and 8065, spoke of uh, some of the motives that should guide people who would be considered patrons. And he says, and I don't read a quote, he says, a giver must act not from self-interest, but in the interest of the recipient. And if the motive is primarily self-interest, any sense of favor is nullified. <laughs> so, and and then you can imagine how these types of systems could be abused because they all can. Uh, but there is a sense of morality connected to that, and that's what it seems like he's trying to promote. And so, for the ancient writings, we can see that it seems that generosity was a a valued characteristic. And so, then secondly, there is the reception of the favor. Right when when you receive the favor, you received it with gratitude graciously, right? Grateful. When one received a favor, their thoughts would immediately turn to returning the favor in the best way possible. Because failure to do this, failure to show gratitude, was considered, well, worse than a crime. It was like sacrilege. It was shameful. So you see, generosity was a part of the fabric of society. And failing to show gratitude could discourage generosity from those who had the means. So failing to be grateful was seen as undermining the fabric of society. And so failing to worship the emperor, yeah, I think maybe now you have a feel or taste of why that was the kind of response. And then the third aspect of grace is the manifestations of that gratitude or returning the favor, one of the one of the primary ways this was done was by just simply open, openly declaring the generosity of the patron. And again we have examples of this in well, for instance, the Psalter, Psalm 116, twelve. He says, What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? And then he goes on to talk about publicly testifying of God's faithfulness and, and his favor, his his grace and and in doing so, he's glorifying God, right? He's increasing, as it were, his reputation, his, his honor. And so, one of the primary ways this was done was just by spreading the word, right, of the generosity of the patron. But the second way you manifest that gratitude was through loyalty. You would have, there would need to be loyalty to the giver, your patron, uh, no matter what happens. And so if things go south and returning the favor becomes costly to you, you still stay loyal. And if the patron fell into trouble, you stay loyal. The patron would need to know that he can trust you, that you would be there for him as much as you would expect him to be there for, for you. And this is where the term faith comes into play. See, the, the term faith... Was also a common term used in the patron system. It was a word that spoke to dependability. It was about the reliability of the patron to be able to provide what they claim. So it was about the client, quote unquote, keeping faith and showing commitment to the patron and to his or her obligations to demonstrate gratitude. And then secondly, uh, the word faith is connected to the concept of trust. So the client had to trust the ability uh, and the goodwill of the patron. They had to trust that the patron would perform right as they promised. The patron or the benefactor would then in turn also have to trust the client to act in an honorable way and make a grateful response. And then thirdly the term faith uh, is connected to the idea of loyalty and to the point of the gift given and received was to create a bond between two people where each would be loyal to the other no matter what each would look out for the best interest of each other and then while one could have multiple patrons they, they had to be careful not to have patrons that were, were enemies um, can imagine the mess that would be. And in fact, Jesus, think about when Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. This is, this is, this is the context he's talking about, right? And he paints a picture of two masters who are at, uh, at odds. And he uses that analogy to talk about uh, the masters that he talks about here is God God in, in money. But uh, there's the analogy there. And so while you're looking out for the best interests of others, you could you could understand to, for your patron, if you had multiple patrons, you might find yourself in a pickle. I mean, you might find that kind of difficult, things being at odd. there might be some tension there because by showing favor or, or you know gratitude to one, uh, you might actually be throwing it in the face of another. and there could be some potential issues issues there. But nevertheless, that's that's the idea, being able to have, and depend upon and trust and, you know, know that each one is going to be loyal to the other. And so this relationship between grace and faith, patron and client, it's the dance of grace. And it, it holds two parties together in a bond of exchanges and interchanges. a bond in which each person was committed to providing or doing whatever they could, that would serve the needs or the desires of, of the other. It was, a, it was a graceful dance of giving and receiving and giving. And, and these relationships were the, the foundation of society. And it's the culture into which Jesus came and, and the culture from which we are to understand the concepts of grace and faith. And then as the the church spread, it, it spread into communities and societies that function in this way. The Christians to whom Paul wrote would have functioned in this system. And so then when Paul would begin to talk about the, quote, marvels of God's grace, made available through Jesus the mediator or broker, which is something we'll talk about later, between God and man. This is the context they would have heard it, understood his words. It was a context they were extremely familiar with. And when they heard that something was given freely, they would have understood that receiving the gift given freely, that a grateful response was proper. Grace for grace, right? And this is the context from which we are to understand God's favor. And the relationship between grace and faith, the context is this dance of grace and it's found in the patron system, what we refer to as the patron system. So there there it is, the dance of grace. Now, on the next episode, we're going to go a little deeper and talk a little more about Brokers and Benefactors and Roman Centurions (laughs) I probably, yeah, let's just title it that Brokers and Benefactors and Roman Centurions So, be looking forward to episode 97 where we'll continue this journey into trying to understand the best that we can this patron system the social structure uh, in which the, the communities and the New Testament specifically you know, function so that we can better understand what it is that's reading that we're reading, what it is that's better that's going on there have, a, have hopefully maybe a better more accurate picture, you know, scenarios of what it is that we're reading and uh, in, in how we interpret it okay? so yeah, there it is Episode 96, Dance of Grace. And with that being said, grace and peace, and I'll talk to you soon.